Hello, and welcome to Governance Matters, the show where we highlight the work of corporate secretaries and general counsel and the latest developments facing the profession. I'm your host, Ben Maiden, Corporate Secretary's Editor-at-Large. Later in this episode, we hear why you may have noticed investor relations colleagues becoming a more prominent feature in meetings between companies and stewardship teams of investors. Don't worry, corporate secretaries, they're not coming for your jobs. In fact, hopefully they're there to help those discussions move along smoothly. We'll find out more a little later. But we start today by looking at some of the innovative ways governance teams can use technology. And we're in excellent hands. Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, or HPE, won the Best Use of Technology Prize at Corporate Secretary's Corporate Governance Awards last November. Carl Frankney, Senior Counsel with HPE, joined me to explain how the firm is looking at virtual reality to potentially help in areas ranging from hosting AGMs and training to the boardroom, and even, it seems, a little golf. It's not all smooth sailing, of course, but the options for governance work are fascinating. Well, Carl, one of the things that stands out about the HPE governance team's use of tech is virtual reality. For example, last year it played a part in the company's AGM. Could you talk us through um, how that worked in practice and why uh, why you decided to use virtual reality as a tool for that kind of event? Sure, that's a great question. Um, you know, at HPE, we are always looking for ways that we can improve the ways people live and work. Uh, and our governance team is carrying that out through innovative uses of technologies And we find that VR offers this immense opportunity to eliminate what we call distance bias. You know, we are a global company. And if we offer events in VR, we're enabling people around the world to join and have a shared engaging experience that we just can't do otherwise, not without flying people, you know, on any number of flights around the world. Uh, And as you know, we have a completely virtual uh, AGM and bringing that virtual experience into VR seemed to be the next logical challenge for us to take on. We like the idea of having a customer zero approach. And for that reason, we did arrange for our 2022 AGM to be available in VR for certain HP employees, something of a small test case. You know, we're looking to test the viability of this kind of event, understand how we can use it in an effective way for people to receive this information and really connect. Unfortunately, one of the biggest hurdles that we keep running into into in VR right now is the wide range of applications and somewhat their mixed effectiveness. We've found that a lot of apps are really good at one thing and then we'll need to go to a different app for a different function. And while we were able to find an effective tool in 2022, by 2023, the tool that we had used was discontinued. And while we had looked at a few alternatives, we didn't find a suitable one in time for our 2023 AGM. So we weren't able to do that this year. Uh, We are still hopeful in keeping our eye out for something that would work. You know, at a practical level, there's just so many things that we have to take into consideration, various boxes we got to check when we're looking at these applications. Uh, Key for this type of event is video hosting capability, as well as support for a large group of attendees. Both of these are really data-rich and resource-intensive undertakings. And while it would be so incredible to be able to make our AGM open to everybody in VR, we haven't really managed to track down a suitable platform for that. The other big hurdle we're running into with VR events is is simply the mechanical hardware doesn't have battery life that supports really extended events. Um, some will last about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Um, but of course, the more intense, i.e. like video streaming and, and other loading events that you do, the, the less that battery is going to last. 
And really to conclude, right, we're just always thinking of new ways that we can enhance our shareholder engagement. And at the end of the day, there are so many different things we can use VR to do that with, one of which would be hosting a virtual proxy. You know, we have a web page that presents all of our proxy information, but imagine if you walked into a room and there was Antonio Neri reading his letter to you, giving you really a speech, something directly to you. And this, it's really the sky's the limit here. There's so many different things you can do. We can record avatars, we can save content, um, really give people that feeling like they're actually meeting somebody or, or interacting with them. Mm. Well, speaking of which, I know um, virtual reality is something that the, the governance team uses in, in working together on projects. And as you say, it helps with bringing people together in, in quote unquote, the same room. And I think, I believe you use avatars in that as well. Um, could you sort of talk us just, you know, just highlight some of the other areas where you found VR to be helpful for your work as a team? We've certainly gone through our growing pains there. I would say that VR has worked the best for us when we have treated and thought about it as a discrete event. And by that, I mean, we didn't just try to do what we would otherwise do in the office in VR. I think by and large, people are struggling to, you know, go to a team meeting in VR where they're expected to take notes or reference materials because the the biggest benefit of VR is that immersion it gives you. But if it's taking you out of all those other things, there are circumstances where we've found that the immersion cuts against its utility because you're so immersed that you actually can't leverage certain tools that are really important to productivity. That said, we have hosted some team building type activities in VR. So like a department wide meeting with various breakout groups, or uh, we've also done a handful of trainings or uh, other similar focused content type things that would allow people to engage and be focused without having that burden or obligation of having to take notes or present some material themselves. Trainings that have been conceptualized wholly in VR have been a bit more successful, um, you know, and we're really thinking ground up about how we're going to do this in VR. There was an interpersonal skills training that we did that was particularly good because it's not, it, it, we're talking about events that aren't really requiring rigorous note taking. Um, you know, think of if instead you were trying to take like a CLE course in VR, I don't think that would be a great avenue. Um, you, you really do want to try to be retaining that information or taking notes. Um, but something that's more soft skills, I think, is very ripe for VR training because it is more about practicing that engagement with people. Um, you know, and this event was designed around having people work on problems and breakout groups and then coming together into a, a, a broader presentation space to receive some frameworks and tools that they then broke out again and were able to practice and leverage those skills right away. Um, you know, much as if you thought about trying to meet in person and do an in-person training, much as you might do in person, but we did it with people from Asia, Europe, the U.S., really all over the globe and all sorts of time zones. Um, and I've saved the best for last, which is team building activities. We have a regular session where we will coordinate and have a round of mini golf in VR. And this is something that even our general counsel will join. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and our hope is to eventually get to a point where we're having a department-wide tournament. This is something people look forward to and are competing in. Um, but for now, we're just happy to hear that some people are actually electing to connect in the VR mini golf app 
on an ad hoc basis, right? Like instead of like, hey, can you hop on a call and chat like really quick? But let's go hop into VR and have this conversation. It's it's this great way to decompress, break up your day while still still having those organic mm-hmm. conversations. Okay. Well, I, I also I also understand that HP is or, or the, the team is thinking about potentially uh, potential uses for VR in the boardroom itself. Could you sort of um, give us a sense of how that might potentially work out? I mean, you say the technology isn't necessarily always there, but um, what sort of thoughts do you have at this stage? Yeah, that, that one's an interesting one. Um, you know, first off, I can't really speak too much to timing. Uh, I do think, but I do think that it's a focus for us for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, one is that same idea of the difference in engagement that one has in VR, uh, having that real sense of interaction. In fact, we recently polled our directors uh, as we're coming out of the pandemic and COVID to, to figure out whether they want to meet in person all the time, have a partial hybrid experience, wh- what what really their preference is. And, and a lot of them, as much as they appreciate the convenience of virtually connecting, do really have this desire to connect in person because of the richness of that experience. And, and I hypothesize that VR will get them a little closer to that. And I wonder if that will be the solution there to, to again, promote that engagement, that that interaction. Um, but the other the other key thing is just the the infinite ability you have to create in VR. So imagine a board meeting in VR where the directors are able to examine a 3D model of a new product line or take a tour walking around our frontier supercomputer all without leaving their office. It has the potential to make things so much more tangible and so much more significant as far as the experience that one's having. We're also experimenting with various ways of modeling risks and contracts, 3D tools that would maybe help you quickly reference and understand risk. um, and, And those sorts of things would, again, be something that we would look to pull into the boardroom as far as when we're explaining agreements and, and risk profiles to the board. Plus, they could also play mini-golf if they uh, felt, felt the urge. Yes, yes, that would be ideal. We have to get them get them uh, in their ASAT. Some team building. Um, so just switching from virtual reality to, to artificial intelligence, which is, you know, as you know, is very much on people's minds across many industries, both for... Uh, some of its uh, potential benefits, cost savings, and potential downsides, i.e., people uh, losing jobs. What for in for in-house legal and governance teams? Um, what do you think are some of the pros and cons at this stage? And what are some of the provisional sort of guardrails do you think might be needed um, as that sort of technology gets taken up more? Yeah, I mean, we definitely see what's happening out there, and and we are really excited about the possibilities that generative AI offers and what it might allow us to do, uh, especially in, in the ways that we might improve how people can live and work. However, um, you know, among HP team members and the industry, right, there there is this spectrum of uncertainty and some amount of fear or of the unknown and and questions around what it is to use this technology in a safe and responsible responsible way. Um, you know, and until we take until we better understand the risk, it's really important that we're taking precautions. Um, by and large, most people, right, are going to be bound by their employer's rules and that sort of thing. Um, And as we look at HPE, currently we don't have a specific company policy on how to use generative AI. 
However, we do have many other overlapping policies and standards and best practices that continue to guide us on how to use this new technology, you know, our, our standards of business conduct, brand and social media guidelines, as well as our AI ethics trainings and guidelines. Um, we do have an ethics committee, an AI ethics committee that's been put together, and they are in the process of kind of making those assessments. Um, you know, some of the things we're thinking about is really the interdependency of the input and the response when it comes to generative AI. You have to know a bit of what's going in as much as you need to know what's coming out. Um, so we're kind of thinking about ways that we can monitor how an employee is using it in that way, right? To not only understand what kind of response the chat is giving, but we need to understand what they're putting in. And um, because once you put it out there, right, like it is out there, um, you know, it, it isn't, uh, if you think about confidentiality and, and the rules on like maintaining your documents and disclosure, right? If I, if I as an attorney submit some confidential material through chat GPT to, to get feedback on it, like that's, that's not really confidential anymore, I think, in most most analysis. So we have to be really careful about how we're using it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, obviously, HP is a, is a tech company, and um, I think certainly certain members of, I know certain members of the team have, you know, a tech background. I think we even took part in, the team took part in some some coding sort of uh, contests like a couple of years back. Um, but just to, just generally, to what extent do members of, of the governance team at HP have like a tech background or training? And is that something that might become more of a feature for in-house teams generally at companies as sort of tools like AI and virtual reality start to you know become more into play? Yeah, well, speaking from our governance team as we currently sit, uh, I don't know that any of us have an engineering background or something like that that you might see with an IP lawyer. Um, but that said, I think we're very familiar and aware of technology and the ways that we use technology. And we do try to be very high tech in our approach, whether it's how we engage with the board or tools that we're using to meet. Um, but really, I do think this is something we're going to see more and more of. Um, I'm, I'm barred in California and, and our rules of professional conduct, rule .1, rule 1.1, comment 1, says that our among our duties, right, is to keep abreast of changes in the law, its practice, and the risk and benefits of using technology. So if you're not staying up to date on this, if you're not trying to at least be aware and have an understanding so that you know what some of the pitfalls are, whether it's having that understanding that what you put into generative um, AI is almost as important as what you're getting out. Um, you know, you, you maybe are not being fully competent. And I really raise a question around whether you can be an effective advocate if you don't. Yeah, um, just, just lastly, I mean, uh, overall, is there, uh, what's your sort of thinking about the importance of technology as part of a governance team and in-house legal teams process? Is it, I mean, how core do you think that is? And um, presumably, uh, it will increasingly become uh, relevant. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's core to what we do. I think that at HPE, as we look to ways that we can improve the ways people live and work, it's it's great if we can test that out a little bit on ourselves, um, if we can play our role in, in being guinea pigs that way. Um, you know, but we have to be really mindful, and this is really what we, we what we think about when we're considering these new technologies right is it's a matter of you know just because we can should we 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 really take a lot of time to think and consider and 
implement what we think are appropriate restrictions to make sure we're working against any kind of appearance of impropriety or or wrong you know wrongdoing with ai or questionable use you know we're not going to start having ai draft our proxy or something like that um it's 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 something we're we're very careful about and you know the analogy that a colleague gave me is that we think of it like you're making a recipe for dinner before you're serving it to others you really do have to do this taste test um you know if, if you're adding a little bit too much salt maybe it's something that people aren't going to like or really worse yet um you know you start making the recipe and you're making dinner for four and it says you need 40 pounds of celery and uh well hold on we have to pause and, and maybe take a look and and see is this something we really want to do are we doing this right um but yeah that that's where we're sitting with it right now yeah very ver- verification and oversight seem to be uh um very much sensible um ingredients to add into the ai mix uh i would i would say Yes. Well, Carl Frankley, it's wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for your time and uh, all the best and hopefully uh, speak to you soon. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. You are invited to the ESG Integration Forum Summer on July 13th, an event bringing together governance, investor relations and sustainability professionals to discuss how the landscape of ESG is shifting in the US and abroad and what public companies can do to prepare accordingly. Join Corporate Secretary and IR Magazine at the Clifford Chance offices in New York to connect and reconnect with your peers and share valuable insights on key issues, including an update and discussion on the SEC climate proposals and what they mean in practice for companies. Emerging trends from this year's proxy season and which proposals are gaining the most momentum what the growing anti-ESG movement means for governance and IR teams, which ESG metrics your peers are focusing on, and what constitutes investor-grade data, and some of the best practices to educate and support your board as voting policies continue to change. Speakers include company executives from BlackRock, ICCR, Ceres, Clifford Chance and more. Find out more and register your interest on corporatesecretary.com forward slash events with the code POD25 for a 25% discount. And we're back. Thanks again to Carl Frankeny. And as a reminder, we are now accepting nominations for this year's Corporate Governance Awards. For details of how you can take part, go to corporatesecretary.com slash events. Next up, our reporter, Hema Vizavaria, sat down recently with Alexandra Higgins, Managing Director at investor response firm Okapi Partners. Hema began by asking why investor relations professionals are becoming more visible in companies' engagement with stewardship teams. So could you just start by introducing yourself? Yes, my name is Alexandra Higgins. I am a Managing Director at Okapi Partners. We are an investor response firm um, specializing in proxy solicitation, Corporate Governance Consulting, M&A, Stockwatch. Now, why do you think IR professionals are becoming more prominent in shareholder meetings than stewards? That's a really good question. Um, so historically, the stewardship teams are responsible for voting in annual meetings, and the corporate secretaries are the experts in you know, corporate governance and deal directly with the board of directors and things like that. And then 
I think over the last few years, it's been, uh, we're seeing an increased presence of IR professionals in uh, these meetings with the stewardship teams. And I think part of it is because when we normally reach out to the top 25 investors on behalf of our clients, there's the stewardship teams at BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, but there's also portfolio managers. And so when those portfolio managers come on, it's a little bit of a different language that they speak. Um, and the IR professionals are used to dealing with uh, portfolio managers as well as analysts. And so I think that it just made sense for the IR professionals and the corporate secretaries to come together and do this engagement either in season or off season. You said there's kind of been a change in recent years. Do you think COVID, for example, has started this? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I don't know why, um, but I, I did notice a big change uh, during COVID, um, especially uh, with the engagement that we were doing related to employees and re related to safety, things like that. Now, again, the IR professionals are used to dealing with the fund managers around things like financials, um, and the corporate secretaries are used to dealing with the stewardship teams. So I think there was a little bit of a learning curve uh, in, in terms of bringing them together, but it's actually worked out really well. And so for IR professionals kind of going more into the corporate secretary space, do you see then corporate secretaries also vice versa, taking more of a role in the IR space? No, actually. And I don't, I don't know that that's not necessarily the case, but I don't see that happening during uh, engagement with, for example, with the IR professionals engaging with portfolio managers and analysts on a regular basis. I don't see the corporate secretaries necessarily joining those conversations, but definitely the other way around. And I think it's been helpful, actually, for the IR professionals to join the conversations because in the stewardship teams, they speak a different language. They're not necessarily used to uh, talking about last year's financial performance or last quarter's financial performance. And the corporate secretaries understand governance better. The stewardship teams are more long term. They just are thinking about the long-term sustainability of the company. And so I think learning that language has been new to the IR professionals, and it's been good. Could you just explain a bit more about how stewardships influence stakeholders? So stewardships, stewardship teams, they view themselves as stewards of capital, and that includes stakeholder capital. Right? So they're, they feel like they're acting on behalf of not only uh, their clients, but they also feel like they're acting on behalf of the local communities, for example, and the areas that, they, that they're in. And so when they're talking to the corporate secretaries and IR professionals about things like employee safety, about climate change, I mean, that's all stakeholder capitalism, right? So they're, they're really trying to influence the, the companies in the long term in that way and trying to just make sure that the companies are sustainable in the long term. And you said, you know, IR professionals have that better understanding and better communication uh, in general with investors. How do you think they can help the stewardship teams then? Um, I think that the IR professionals uh, can help the stewardship teams understand their world a little bit more, right? And it's not like the stewardship teams don't have any interaction with the portfolio managers uh, and analysts within their own organization. I think that they're very integrated. We just don't see it very much. But bringing those together, 
for example, um, as these IR professionals come along more, the stewardship teams are inviting the portfolio managers to come in and have these conversations. And so you'll see, you know, when we get on these these meetings that the portfolio managers and the IR teams are like, oh, nice to see you again. They know each other already. They have that relationship. And I think it's very helpful to bring those teams together. And thinking about, you know, your company itself, what would you say some of the challenges there are around, you know, IR, bringing together IR and corporate secretaries? You know, actually, there there aren't many challenges other than getting the IR teams used to talking in the same language as the stewardship teams. When it comes to bringing the IR teams along, it's actually been really helpful. They have that relationship with uh, the portfolio managers, but not only that, when we're engaging in the off-season, which is generally from September until December, we're talking about issues not related to the annual meeting. We're talking about ESG. We're talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about uh, employee health and safety. And so when the portfolio managers come along, they're talking about ESG in a slightly different way. They're talking about ESG in the context of the funds that they're creating. And the funds that they're creating are these new ESG funds. And so they're relying primarily on uh, ratings, um, MSCI and Sustainalytics, things like that. Now, the IR professionals aren't necessarily used to that. And so when the IR professionals come along, they hear the portfolio managers talking about these issues for the first time. And I think that bringing them along uh, has been just really good to hear the portfolio managers talking about ESG in a new way. Um, I'm not sure that they talk about that in their normal financial discussions. And what advice then would you give to other companies to get them to incorporate their IR teams more so in the stewardship team? So, you know, when we reach out on behalf of our clients uh, to the investors, we're normally dealing with corporate secretaries and, and general counsels. One of the things that I think would be really helpful is to get the IR teams more involved in governance discussions internally. More and more we're seeing, uh, and the stewardship teams are expecting, directors to come along. And I don't know necessarily that directors have that relationship with the IRR professionals the same way they do with the corporate secretaries. So internally, developing that relationship and helping the IR teams better understand the directors, the board, the governance, things like that, is going to be hugely helpful in these discussions because they're going to be able to uh, speak about them a little bit more clearly, um, and especially from the portfolio manager perspective because they know them so well. So that, as well as starting to have those discussions um, about ESG uh, with the portfolio managers, even when the stewardship teams aren't around, not necessarily, you know, during these off-season engagement discussions. So that's the advice that I would give. And finally, was there anything else you wanted to add, just in general about IR professionals moving towards stewardship teams? Stewardship teams, um, they are sitting in that responsible investment team, and they are the ones who are voting as well. And the IR professionals don't necessarily vote proxies, right? Um, I think that it's going to be important for um, the IR professionals to just start understanding uh, those voting policies as well, understanding how uh, what these investors are saying 
could impact not only the votes on just regular ballot items, but on directors. And those issues, I think, will continue to merge. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Governance Matters podcast with me, Ben Maiden. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to like, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.